Welcome to Creating a Buzz About Health podcast with Paula Carnell. Hello, hello, hello. So today I wanted to talk about the black bee. Now, whether you're a beekeeper or not, you may have been, um, you might have come across black bees in general conversation or about honey or just about native bees. And if you are a beekeeper, then you will be fully aware of the black bee. Now, there are 22,000 species of bees and only 11 of them make honey. And out of those 11, there is one species called Apis mellifera, which is the Western honeybee. Now, out of the Western honeybee, there are then about seven or eight subspecies, possibly even more. Um, I don't know off the top of my head. And um, one of those subspecies is Apis mellifera, mellifera, or the black bee. Now, that type of bee is meant to originate from northern Europe. So right across the British Isles, all across Russia, Eastern Europe, and it would even come sort of down to sort of southern parts of Europe, um, bits of Turkey. So it's a very well-known, well-established type of bee. However, if I talk about Britain now, it was decided that the black bee must have become extinct following the invasion of the Varroa mite. And so... <clears throat> With the Vromite, hundreds of thousands of colonies of bees died and beekeepers could see their bees dying and they could see it was the Vromite. So the Vromite is this little pest that would feed off the fat bodies of the bees while they're in a larval state. And then it makes the bees weak and then vulnerable to other diseases. So quite often it would be other diseases that would kill the bees. Now, year two of having Vromites, chemical treatments started to come in. Some of them are more natural than others, but they are basically um, either essential oils, so um, thyme, thyme oil or thymol is used. Then there was also a lot of um, sort of synthetic miticides that have also been used inside hives to kill the varomite. Now, any kind of treatment, it's trying to kill a bug on a bug or an insect on an insect. So there's always going to be some collateral damage. You know, you're going to have a point where you're killing the bees as well as the mites. And this is a balance that, you know, creates much argument and debate. And for me, I have made the decision to be completely treatment free 13 years ago. Now, because of the treatments and because they seem to work and with managing treatments, managing mite control, bees, honeybees are, are the colonies are managed. There was a very much an understanding that any wild bees must have died out. And because managed colonies are often populated with bred queens, so you may have heard of a buckfast queen or a carnelian queen or Italian queens. And these are honeybees that are bred really for the benefit of beekeepers. And so there's been this belief that the black bees must have died out because all these other bees came in. And if bees weren't being managed, then they must have died because no chemical treatments were used. Now, what's happened in recent years is pockets around the British Isles have found they have got the black bee. So with DNA testing, they've been able to test them. And the black bee is now sort of quite controversial um, because 
there is uh, you know, a group of people who believe it can't possibly be true, but then there are scientists now proving that they are. And then there's the arguments, well, the black peas are vicious and so you don't want them anyway, or they don't produce enough honey, or, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why people don't like a black bee. But there is a growing movement towards trying to find the black bee and then when we have them, trying to keep them. But also there is more of a movement, which I'm pleased to be part of, of actually embracing whatever bees we have in our area. So they're localised bees. Now, these are going to be a bit hybrid because you cannot protect an area from your neighbours bringing in a Buckfast queen or an Italian queen, and then their drones are going to mate with your queen. So you're always going to have a bit of a hodgepodge of bees, and it's very difficult to have a pure breed. But the people who've managed to find the black bees and keep them relatively pure are repeating what we knew hundreds of years ago, that the bees were calm. They were very good at adapting to the weather conditions. So the queen wouldn't lay eggs if it was colder weather. She would be able to fly in colder weather. They wouldn't have over big colonies. They would produce honey, but they're also very frugal when it comes to eating their honey and making it last through the winter months. So basically, they're adapted to our environment. They're a bit hairier, a bit smaller, a bit heavier wings, so they can cope with the northern European climate. So this is is really, really exciting. Well, yesterday I was at the National Honey Show and I was really excited that Andrew Abrahams was speaking. And he is from Colonsay, which is a Scottish island and um, on the Inner Hebrides. And he has been working with the black bee and he's had them proven to be the black bee. And yesterday he shared his story, which was absolutely fascinating. So he's been on the island since the 1970s and he's been able to protect his bees. So it is illegal for any other beekeeper to bring in any other types of bees. So his island has been protected. So he knows that all the bees on the island come from the colonies he manages and they're mating from those colonies. So he really has got a pure black bee and it's been scientifically tested. So he was sharing the benefits that he has with his bees and just what it's like working with them. And it really, it was so encouraging, but it also made me think, what can we do to protect local species in other areas? So I believe that some of my colonies and some of the colonies I work with are also the black bees. They're bees that have survived in the wild. They've been in cavities of trees. They've been hiding from beekeepers. And now they're moving into our apiaries. They're moving as swarms into places where we can observe them and we can manage them. And I know for a number of years, I was working with bees that were very much localized, very dark. They would fly at low temperatures. They were hairier. They'd be much more frugal with their um, honey stores and they'd be very gentle, which are all the characteristics that you'd have with the black bee. But then it only takes one beekeeper to bring in a queen and suddenly all my colonies are diluted. And there has been a sort of argument that our oh, black bee queens are very aggressive or you have feisty bees. But when you look at old photographs of beekeepers in Britain, You'll have ladies in linen dresses. You'll have um, men with, you know, a, a shirt on and no gloves, no veil, no bee suit because they're working with gentle bees. They're working with their native bees. 
And so we know when we look at these photographs, people were not stupid. They would not be managing bees without gloves and veils if they didn't need to or if they weren't able to. So where does the aggressive bees come from? And this is where Andrew's talk was interesting because he was saying when you have that dilution, you will then have a generation of feisty bees, of angry bees. It's the crossbreeds that are angry. And so we need to try and keep these areas pure. Now, what was particularly exciting was I sat in this talk with Jilly Halliday, who's from Tresco, and she's been setting up the Tresco Bee Project or the Silly Isles Bee Project. And there they have a similar situation where they've got bees that have been isolated from the rest of the British Isles and they've adapted. You know, it's very windy there. They have a different climate. Um, you've got bees that have to be able to forage from whatever's available. And they've had their bees DNA tested and they found that there is a specific type of bee on the ciliars. It's the Silonian bee. It's the silly bee. And she's doing whatever she can to protect it. So listening together to Andrew's talk was really encouraging and how he fought for 10 years to get Collinsé protected as a bee reserve. And this is something perhaps people don't understand is that bees are not protected species and there is nothing to stop people bringing in bees from outside the area. And this is so detrimental. You imagine if you were, a, you know, a cattle breeder or a, a sheep farmer and suddenly, you know, someone was bringing in, um, you know, rams or bulls that were not of your type. If you no longer had control of your your species, it's really, really challenging. And I found this with, you know, with my colonies when a neighbour would buy in a queen, you know, not maliciously. They just think that's what they're meant to do to replace their queens every year. And um, and they'll buy the best queen they can. And this really does have a knock on effect with the whole environment. So I wanted to talk about black bees because we have this romantic vision of the black bee as being a historical type of British bee that's died out. But we know it hasn't died out. But also, if you see, um, you know, products, black bees, is that from a black bee? Is it from an actual black bee or is it? just the romantic name of the British honeybees. So we need to really be a bit clearer, I think a bit more transparency about the different species of bees. And maybe even, you know, by supporting Andrew's work where he is producing honey, it's tough work when you can't just quickly replace your queens by buying in a packet. You're having to manage your bees. You're having to really take great care of them to be, ensure that they can breed healthily and that you're not going to get inbreeding. So he's got eight apiaries and he he manages his bees, but he's not having to use um, varroa treatment because the bees have adapted and they're, they have hygienic behaviour. He's also noticing that they're living with insects that are keeping them clean, that are um, broilers, which are these little, little flies. It's an adapted fly that no longer has wings. But perhaps the broilers are actually cleaning the bees. And interestingly, Jilly found in the Silly Isles that her bees have broilers too. And when I was on Easter Island, they had broilers. That was the first time I'd ever heard of these little flies. So by using chemicals, perhaps we are removing nature's solutions for cleaning up insects and for keeping bees healthy. There is this interaction of all sorts of insects and all sorts of bees living together to keep each other clean 
And if we're using chemicals that are killing an insect on an insect, how do we know we're not killing the beneficial insects as well? So it really is um, food for thought to sort of step back and think, what are we doing that's good for bees? And what can we learn from these isolated populations of healthy, treatment-free, varroa-resistant, original native black bees of the British Isles? Isn't this an exciting movement? Can we do something to support beekeepers in a transition to nativize our bees? Wouldn't it be amazing if instead of bringing in Italian queens, we're having British queens, British queens that are adapted to our environment, that can cope with our winters, that can cope with a random hot summer or a random wet summer, you know, bees that have have adapted. So I was just so excited um, to go to this talk and to hear the work he's been doing. And I really wanted to give him, um, you know, a bit of a, a public applaud, you know, because there are beekeepers doing really incredible work and we just don't know about them. We just don't know what's going on. He also has the most beautiful um, range of plants that grow on colonsay. So you'd think of it being a windswept swept rock, but he was showing us flowers of the, the wildflower maccas and actually there it's illegal for farmers to cut the grasses before September. So this enables all kinds of wildflowers to come out. They have the maca where you've got these wildflower coasts where the tide will come in and bring in nutrients from the sea to fertilise the soil and then go out again. And then all these incredible flowers come up. And it was actually on the um, outer Hebrides where I saw um, the highly endangered um, great yellow bumblebee, which is a bee that used to be common all over the British Isles. And now you only find them in remote highlands and island spots. So particularly the maca. So if we can look at these little pockets of nature reserves where the whole community are working together to protect their bees, to protect their insects, we can support them by buying their honey and really valuing the work that they're doing and also starting to engage with our own local beekeepers and asking them questions. How are you keeping your bees? What do you know about your local environment? How has your biodiversity increased? What insects have you got living with your bees? And are you familiar with the work that's being done on the Scilly Isles or on Colonsay about bees? So this was really just to sort of touch on, um, on black bees. And if you were just wondering, what is all this thing about black bees? Well, the black bees are the great British bee that we thought had died out, but it lives on strong, happy, and very, very gentle. So I hope this has helped, given you a bit of food for thought. And I would highly recommend that if you want some really good, healthy honey and you want to support um, good, sustainable bee projects, then look up um, Andrew Abrahams and the Colonsay Black Bee and let's support where good work is going on. Thanks very much. Bye for today. I love that you've been listening to my podcast. Thank you so much. I am delighted to have the wonderful Bee Brook helping me with editing and um, producing this podcast. So if you've enjoyed it, do share it around and connect with me on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn and my website. So thank you very much and bye for now. You have to become yourself. Join us Open next time on Creating a Buzz Open About Health podcast. Heart.
with Paula Carnell. Buzz you later.